Recovery Radio, KMP3, Thousand Oaks. Ah, yes. You are listening to the Recovery Radio Podcast on KMP3. I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and I will be your host. You can email me at sarcasticbigbook at gmail. You can follow me on Instagram at sarcastic.aa.book. Visit my websites, recoveryradiokmp3.com and sarcasticbigbook.com. As always, I am so glad you're here with me. I don't know if your day is just getting started or just winding down or it's somewhere in the middle, but here we are. You and me, I am glad for that. Grateful I have no desire to drink today. And I do have a piping hot cup of French roast coffee here from Trader Joe's. Mixed with some Don Francisco's hazelnut. I know you're dying to know that. I know you need to hear it. I know that's why some of you tune in. I'm going to read something from the big book. Page 22 is where I'm going to start if you want to follow along. Man, the coffee is good today. Jeez. To drink more of it. I have to have more, man. I'm a more whore. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's so revolting. I'm a more whore, man. This coffee's so good, my brain's all lit up. It's like I'm on cocaine. It's the same exact thing, except there's not a huge line of disappointed and Sad parents and friends. Other than that, it's the same exact thing, bro. I'm a more whore. Okay. Ready? Page 22. This got done describing the real alcoholic. I'm going to start the second paragraph. Second full paragraph. Why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown them that one drink means another debacle. With all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it that he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower that he sometimes displays with respect to other matters? Perhaps there will never be a full answer to these questions. Opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure why, once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like normal men. We are equally positive that once he takes 
any alcohol whatever into a system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of the man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so he won't feel the ache. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. Once in a while he may tell the truth, and truth, strange to say, is that he usually has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There's an obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. Now, I wanted to read that to put that often misquoted sentence in its context. In the sentences that the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind. I have heard that used as a springboard countless times for people to go on about how their thinking is fucked up. That's not what it's saying at all. As a matter of fact, it just said it just talked about how we have common sense and willpower with respect to other matters other than alcohol. It just said it. On the page before that I didn't read it says we're often completely sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except alcohol. So those are the things that are stated about our brain leading up to the main problem centers in the mind. That's the commentary the book makes leading up to that sentence. And afterwards, for that matter. And what they're talking about is... There's a twofold problem unique to the alcoholic, according to the big book. The main part of it is not the body part. Why? Because the physical aspect is not going to cause us to drink. That's why. That's it. The end. That's why the main problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind. They're saying it's the insanity of the first drink that is the main problem, not the allergy of the body. That's not the main problem. That would be like 
I mean, I've talked about it, having a peanut allergy. You know, if you have a peanut allergy, you just don't eat peanuts. It's not complicated. You just stay away from peanuts. You don't try to... And you're not suffering from your peanut allergy unless you eat peanuts. Peanut allergy is not a twofold problem. It's a physical problem. But alcoholism is like a peanut allergy with a mental component where you're talking yourself into eating peanuts. I just feel like this can't be talked about. Enough. I feel like a, a, a really the Lone Ranger on this often. Out in the planet <laughs> of the Fellowship. Where I am surrounded by people who believe the opposite of what I'm saying. And you know, having gone through the extensive by subject instead of chapter or step book study. Now, you know, for almost, you know, for about 30 years now, the big book makes it really clear that aside from drinking, there's no mental thing about us that is extra screwed up that can be blamed on alcoholism. There's stories in the big book that contradict this. The 12 and 12 says a few things that contradict this. Things in the treatment world, things written by therapists and, you know, recovery houses contradict this. But my learning this information really set me free. And it set me free for very specific reasons. It set me free primarily all those years ago because it changed how I applied the 12 steps. Simple as that. My learning this information changed how I applied the 12 steps in my life. Completely. Not a little bit. It's not subtle. Completely changed how I applied the 12 steps. And I'll give you an example how. First couple of years that I was sober, I thought that my mental... Um, struggles, and my spiritual struggles, were part of my alcoholism. Uh, most people that I know believe that those things are. Many of my friends and acquaintances believe that that's true. But to me, it is very clear that the book book denies this completely. And when I believed that, I thought I was stuck. For one, I thought I was stuck being uh, 
I just didn't think that God could remove any self-will from me. I thought it was part of my alcoholism and I was just going to be stuck being extra screwed up somehow. So I blamed a lot of my behaviors on my alcoholism. And when you blame your behavior on your alcoholism, that right there vastly impacts the effectiveness of the 12 steps and how I applied them. Basically, my blaming my character defects on my alcoholism, blaming my selfishness on my alcoholism, blocked God from my life. Because it, a lot of reasons, but essentially it prevented me from feeling I had to try in a lot of ways. I used it as an excuse to phone it in with a lot of stuff. It also made me feel more separate from people instead of more connected to. I thought non-alcoholic people are, <clears throat> they're not struggling with anything. They just understand life. How many times have you heard that? People say, normies is the slang. <laughs> but how many times have you heard people say, normies, you know, they, they already have life figured out. You know, I'm jealous of them. I mean, ha having been blessed enough to know a lot of non-alcoholic people intimately over the years, that's all bullshit. Non-alcoholics are, are also described equally on pages 60 to 62 when it talks about most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. That's not describing alcoholism. Read it carefully. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter two, the, the, the agnostic, it says a little earlier, meaning we've described the alcoholic. We're moving on now. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. They're not talking only to the alcoholic. Read it in its context. Read the whole thing. I implore you. They're talking about most people, any life, and most human beings. And before I thought that... Um, God actually can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. And in fact, that's the solution to the drinking problem. Um, I thought I was just extra screwed up. I felt very separate from people. Less than, worse than, apart from, different. And that belief affects step four, step five, 
six, seven, nine. It's not a subtle belief. These aren't subtle belief systems. They are beliefs that impact sobriety immensely. I don't know. Everybody sees different things. I know that. But for myself, most people in Alcoholics Anonymous look pretty uncomfortable to me. Not all of them. I know a lot of people who are not. But I know a lot of people who, to me, just look like they're drowning. And in my worthless opinion, I think this is why. I think this is a huge part of why. I'm in a community. I have a lot of people I consider to be friends. And it's a big recovery community. And, you know, I go to a meeting every day. And almost every day, somebody will share about how their alcoholic thinking is with them when they wake up. And that's what they don't want to get out of bed or and something along those lines. And it's very sad because I felt that way, believed that, and it kept me struggling in ways I'm not struggling today. When I learned this information, um, it changed everything. And it made, like I said, how I applied the 12 steps so different. My understanding obviously impacted my practice. When I saw that the spiritual malady is, of course we have that because we're human beings, but everybody has that to some degree. When I discovered that Enlarging your spiritual life and having God remove the self-centeredness and growing spiritually was the solution and not the problem. The impact of the 12 steps was larger beyond measure. Just changed everything. It's literally like the difference between, you know, in The Wizard of Oz, all of a sudden everything's in full color. It's like that. It was literally like that. When I discovered this and started to apply the principles of AA with this understanding that I am not stuck being a self-centered asshole. And that above everything, I actually can't be anymore. The world became full color. And again, I feel like I'm all alone out here with this largely. I mean, not completely, I know. I'm, not, I'm exaggerating. I know there's some hyperbole in what I'm saying. There's plenty of happy people in Alcoholics Anonymous. But, I don't know. 
it's such a huge part of why. It's why I'm having such a great experience in life and in Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I don't go, I go to a meeting every day and I don't go to a meeting because I feel like I need a meeting and I don't go to a meeting um, to get attention and I don't go to a meeting to um, hear myself talk and I don't go to a meeting to, because somebody's telling me to go and I'm afraid not to go. I don't go to a meeting because I'm trying to stay in the middle. I don't go to a meeting because I'm, I mean, those are huge for me because I used to go to a meeting for all those reasons. I used to go to meetings for all really self-centered reasons. And I really thought I was stuck with that self-centeredness. Come to find out, you're not. You can't have an experience where you go to meetings just to help. And that's it. That's possible. But this belief is at the core of that for me. And if you don't think that my opinion is worthless, God bless you. You're very kind. But I am just one ding-ding ringing my bell. Speaking of ringing the bell, my agent just rang my door bell. And he has a gift basket from probably, I think it's called, what is it? Who's that from? You can come over here. I'm recording, but I'm almost done. Yes, set it down right there. Are there macadamia nuts in there? Oh, that's from... Is that from um, JTB? Just the Buns? Just the Buns magazine? Yeah, just set it right there. Set it on the bureau. Just leave it right there in the Davenport. All right. I'm going to give a shout-out to Happy Joyous and Three. I'm going to give a shout-out to the Black Rhinos. International Big Book Study and I want to say hello to the Canadians and I want to say to anyone who needs to hear it that everything is okay everything's okay most people I know are sick right now I fortunately am not And um, I don't know. You all know who you are. There's a lot of you, but I love you and um, thinking about you. Okay. I don't know why my life was saved. I really don't. But I'm going to go try to live a life that was worth saving. And I hope you'll do the same. <laughs>